This is Defender Radio. Defender Radio is brought to you by the Association for the Protection of Fur-Bearing Animals. It's the week of March 27, 2017, and this is Michael Howie welcoming you to episode 422 of Defender Radio. Before we get started today, I want to send a quick shout out to the Potter and Family crowd on Twitter for showing some great support for this show as we continue to try and expand our audience. If you're on Twitter, make sure you're following me at Defender Radio or on Instagram at Howie Michael. And don't forget that the Fur Bears has a great webinar coming up in early April that will be perfect for municipal planners, landowners, land managers, and even landscapers on how to plan for and use coexistence methods with beavers. Get the details at thefurbears.com. The sun is shining, the rain is washing away the last of the snow, and families are hitting the trails and sidewalks with their four-legged companions. And that means it's time for some spring training. Whether you share your home with a young puppy or a senior dog, getting out and reviewing the basics like sit, down, stay, and having a good recall, or coming when called, is a great idea, both for the safety of your pet and for building your relationship. Of course, turning these exercises into fun games makes it even more enjoyable. From lazy hounds to neurotic herders and every type in between, getting to know your furry family member through play and training, and finding ways for them to interact socially in appropriate ways with other dogs and people will make your home a little bit happier. To help us with our spring training and to answer questions from our social media audience, we were joined by dog trainer and good friend to both the fur bears and my own family, Kyla Boyer. We want to talk about spring training with dogs, um, sort of the, the back to basics, things people need to know as they're outside now with their dogs more. Um, and I find it interesting, too, because I think there's a different set of expectations for dogs uh, from, you know, in, in my neighborhood in the middle of downtown Hamilton to your neighborhood in the middle of nowhere, Nowhereville. Um, and I, I'd say it's, it's pretty much, though, the same things that we need to worry about. And I thought the best spot to start on is a strong recall um so when you're training either your dogs or you're teaching a class how frequently is recall something that you're working on with clients um it is all the time i with my own personal dogs i'm constantly working a recall i always have some form of treat in my pocket and i just randomly throughout our time outside, I will just call them in to me, reward them, and then tell them that they can go play again. And I tell people to do this as often as absolutely possible in the house. And the biggest one that I tell them to work on too is putting the dog on a long line, having somebody open the front door and just leave it open, allow the dog to make the choice to then go out the door. And then call them back to you because that's the number one way that dogs get lost is scooting out a front door unexpectedly. But if the dogs have rehearsed time and time again, that they get that access and then they're immediately called back and rewarded. And we can start breaking that cycle of, Oh wow, I'm free. See you later. And the same thing. um, If you have a garden gate or a yard gate that sometimes gets left open, maybe the gas man came in, checked the meter, didn't shut the gate and you've had a dog escape in the past work the same idea with the garden gate so that you can at least if you're there and you see them going out I mean if you're you're not there okay things are different but if you're there and you can see it happening you can call them and they understand that this is just another game where they can come back to you and get rewarded 
So we're not uh, rehearsing with them that this freedom is more fun. We're rehearsing with them that coming back to you is more fun and more rewarding. I, I like the way you put it too, that it's it's a game. And that's something actually I, I put out a little call out um, through the social media networks asking if people had questions. And one person said, can you, like, should you take the playfulness that dogs sort of naturally have and try and curb that to get them to be more obedient? Um, or can you sort of use it yeah. to get them to sort of be more obedient? And, it, it, like, are those two ideas uh, uh, diametrically opposed or can they be worked together? I personally like to make it a game. Things are always more fun. Um, when it's lighthearted and then if you can still get the same results, you're having a dog that's working for you because it wants to, and it's not working for you out of fear of any, um, getting in trouble. So if we're, if they're coming back to us, cause they're excited to come back to us, they're coming back to us faster. They're more likely to leave whatever that potential thing was that they may or may not have decided to go chase because they're like, Oh, this is such a strong draw to come back to have fun with my mom or dad. And that's, I think where we, where we get dogs having success or not with a strong recall. The other thing I tell my clients to play with, which is game related and kids can play this game too, which is great because so many times parents tell me like, Oh, my dog just doesn't listen to my son. And you know, my son likes to want to take him for a walk and I just don't trust him. And you know, whatever the case may be, but I tell them play what we just call monkey in the middle. So we have the dog with two people. One starts off holding the dog. Each person equally has the same amount of treats or dog kibble. It can be their breakfast or whatever. And um, the dog is then let loose. The one person calls. The dog goes to that person. You can stay in any distance, whatever your yard allows, whatever the long line allows. It can be a hallway. It can be outside in a park. It can be anywhere. And you call the dog, the dog comes in, you take the collar, because this is the other thing with recalls. Recall should be that your dog then allows you to take its collar. It's completely useless to have a dog come to you and then you can't touch it. Mm -hmm. It plays the catch me if you can. And that is so frustrating. So the dog should understand that there's two components to recall. The first one, that they come. The second one, that they're caught. And then... That person calls their dog in, takes the collar, feeds the treat. The person that just let the dog go now calls the dog. The dog is released by the other person, goes shooting over to that person, same thing, collar and treat. And they just play this ping-ponging back and forth between the people. As the dog gets better and better, You can, if you have the room and the space, you can expand your distance. And it's just a fun game. And not only are you working the recall with multiple people and it's strengthening between every member of the household, but the dog's getting a great exercise in with minimal space. I mean, you can do a lot in just 15 feet of yard space. You can exhaust them. That's, that's always a really good game. And I tell people, play that often. Well, one of the uh, uh, interesting ones we had, too, that came out of the, the, uh, the questions, um, and I have to scroll around because I'm unprofessional now, um, was someone asking about dogs who, who have come from an abuse situation, who have uh, maybe, you know, an untoward background. And that's that can be anything, you know, uh, w- with my dogs that you know. Um, we have the mix mm-hmm. of JJ, who was more or less feral, um, and Pigeon, who was maybe smacked around a little bit when he before he came to us. Um, so right. 
the question is, um, are there part, are there kinds of training that can be part of their healing when you have dogs like this? Uh, again, so that range of a dog who simply has no socialization to a dog who has come from a very unfortunate situation. Is this the kind of thing where you maybe try and make these games into yeah, a part of their, their healing from that experience? Absolutely. I mean, dogs certainly know what has happened in the past and, and they certainly do remember um, but at the same time, dogs are very live in the moment. So if you yourself have, have never given the dog anything to worry about, then you're that much closer to proving to them and, and earning that trust. So by playing these games and by steering away from a punishment-based training method and making the recall game, especially the recall game, because we want them to come back to us if they get away. It's, it's terrifying to know our dog got away and doesn't want to come back. So if we can make it that we've rehearsed with them so much that this always means you will get something good. I will never, I promise to you, I will never get you in trouble if you just come to me. That's very powerful to the dogs to know that trust and to have that understanding with us. Because then, then we know that we have in that little bit kind of erased the stuff that other people have done to them or completely neglected from them in the past. One thing I, I, I have heard, which I always found interesting, is um, for people who are at off-leash dog parks, and these are either the fenced-in kind or just your local park or whatever, right. um, you should not use your recall phrase for when you're going to leave. So when, when the fun is ending um, and you're going to leave the park, you're going to go get in the car and the dog doesn't want to get in the car, you should somehow have another phrase for them to come to you. Um, so you don't make a negative association. What I would say to that, to to break that idea, because then that's just a lot of commands to try to teach your dog. And the dog's going to inevitably figure out that when you say Rover here instead of Rover calm, that Rover here is code for we've got to leave the dog park. Mm -hmm. So instead of doing that and instead of confusing the dog and eventually letting him figure this all out, just constantly recall your dog to you in the park. If nine times out of 10, he comes to you and you take that collar and then you tell him to go play again. And then that one time out of 10, you took the collar, you clipped the leash and said, come on, buddy, we got to go home and still gave him some type of reward when he gets to the car. The chances of him ignoring you in the future is pretty slim to none because it's so well rehearsed that most times I get to go play. So use the dog park as, your, as it, exactly a place to work and proof your recalls. And call them 50 times if they're in there for an hour or two. There's nothing wrong with that. Taking their collar, um, maybe do or don't carry treats completely up to you in a dog park. If you've got treats, keep them in maybe like a um, something that's up higher, like a backpack as, as opposed to a low pocket where other dogs can smell them. Um, but reward your dog. And then the biggest reward for them is that you say, go play. Even just scratch their ears and say, good puppy, off you go again. And that will help them to understand that, oh, well, every time she calls me or he calls me, it doesn't mean my time has ended. And most times it means I get to go play again. And that's exciting to be let loose again. I think when we talk about off-leash dogs, though, there, there is the, the social impact of this. I mean, obviously, there's the wildlife uh, impact. And, and from the fur bear's point of view, we're always going to advise if you're in an area where wildlife may be to keep your dog leashed, um, both because your dog can cause a great deal of stress or harm 
to some animals, and other animals can cause a great deal of stress or harm to your dog, uh, depending on where you are. But when you are in areas where it's safe to have your dog off-leash, and again, this is you know, in a, a public park or in an off-leash zone of a park, in a fenced-in park, one of the things that happens is the ultimate social interaction of it. And as you know, with my with me having anxiety, I... Uh, I hate having dogs off leash because I'm constantly vigilant um, and it makes me very nervous. And especially with my dog, JJ, who, you know, who who really doesn't care about the rest of humanity or anything else. um, As long as she has a couch and me, Um, you know, with her, it's just, it's, it's futile to try and get her to, to pay attention. But how do we teach people what sort of acceptable and safe ways for dogs to interact in these situations are. Because this is, you know, if I have my dog on leash and your dog is off leash and we're not in an off leash area. So walking down the street or walking past a park and your dog comes running up to my dog. Right. Um, or if, you know, our dogs are in the dog park and they start growling at each other uh, or humping. I, how, I guess first it's how do we have those conversations with people? And then what are the solutions to maybe the levels of interaction that are safe and good for the dogs and levels of interaction that are inappropriate and potentially dangerous. So first of all, I think the biggest thing for people to understand is that um, specifically with regards to off-leash designated dog parks that are fenced in for people to take their dogs, let them go and, and let them romp around with friends. Those places are not places to either A, test out your new rescue dog social skills, or B, fix the dog that you realize has issues. It's not fair. It's not, it, it's just not appropriate to bring those animals in there with the idea of, well, let's see what can happen mm. because mm. that's always the time that the worst case is going to happen. And I mean, dogs have died from being in altercations at dog parks with dogs that we all know should not have ever gone in there that that owner knows he should have not brought the animal in there or he or she. So first and foremost, be conscious of that. Know your dog and don't just bring them in there and let them free and hope for the best. Um, be very respectful of people walking their dogs on leash. I personally own a dog who w- will not tolerate a rude dog, friendly or not, coming into his face yeah so if i'm walking on leash and somebody has a dog off leash and they're not in control of that dog and it comes flying over i will prevent a dog fight by properly holding my dog keeping his head tightly pressed against my body not allowing him to make eye contact or physical contact and then i will be very vigilant in saying Come get your dog now, get your dog now, get your dog now. And I will just continue to scream those words until that person breaks from a sauntering walk while they scream, my dog's friendly, it's okay. (laughs) Um, I need you to move quickly because I have a hundred pounds of anger uh, (laughs) between my hands right now. Yeah. And the the clock's running out, dude. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I don't know that there, so when I watch dogs play, the body signals to look for is large, um, animated movements, uh, play bow is when they've got their bum in the air and their elbows on the ground and they, their tail is doing big, loose wags. So any big, loose wagging movements, jumping, bouncing around, kind of dipping side to side in front of another dog, 
those are all invitations of play. That's typically displayed by a dog who is who is socially able to understand how to invite play properly and likely to engage in play properly as well. Um, if we see anything with a stiffness or like they freeze and they just stand and then we look at the tail and if the tail's doing like, uh, if, if it looks kind of like what a rattlesnake does with its tail, like that quick back and forth, hmm. take heed that warning. That is them saying, I'm not really comfortable right now. Um, and maybe just gently get your dog and move it away from that dog. So there's, there's a ton of things that with regards to body language, that's really difficult to explain, um, just with a, you know, a podcast interview. Um, yeah. but I think just overall knowing your dog and being courteous of other people and not using other people's dogs as a method to test out your dog and his friendliness or not friendliness. One of the things I struggled with, and I still struggle with, mm-hmm. um, and I think this this kind of plays into what you're saying with Know Your Dog, too, is what I said about JJ, um, is, you know, when it was just her and I, um, everything was hunky-dory. Right. And then we, we moved into a multi-dog household with another human. Um, and I kept, I wanted her to be the happy pet who mixed in with everybody and who, who saw Kate as, you know, another person that that's great. And while she has warmed up to everybody, she is still very much focused on me. Right. And it's, the problem is not that JJ is a bad dog or a good dog. It's, it's who she is. And it's my interpretation. It's my understanding who she is versus who I want her to be. Right. Um, and I think that's something that a lot of people probably struggle with and never really know what they're struggling with. Yeah, absolutely they do. I always tell people, I, I give them the okay, that it is okay to have a dog that doesn't like other dogs. It is okay to have a dog that doesn't want to be patted by every single person that walks past it on the street. It is okay. Like, not every dog needs to be that stereotypical golden retriever that loves everyone and everything. They don't have to be like that. And just because you have a dog that may not be that stereotypical golden retriever, that's okay. Love that dog for what it is. Find that dog, you know, with what it likes to do. It doesn't have to go to a dog park. It doesn't have to, like, those aren't things that will determine whether it's a good dog or not. Love your dog for the individual that he or she is. Well, and that's, uh, with JJ, one of the funny things that we'll see. And I think it's funny. Uh, Kate finds it to be infuriating, as I'm sure you've heard. Um, but uh, <laughs> nope. with JJ, we'll be going, oh, yeah, you've never heard her complain about JJ. Uh, we'll be going for a walk. And JJ will decide she's had enough and say, just like, nope, I want to go home now. Yeah. And just start pulling in the direction of home. <laughs> um, and that's, you know, for, for a while, when, when I had first adopted her, I tried taking her camping on big hikes and stuff. And same thing, you know, we'd be going through, uh, there, there's um, a canyon up uh, North Halton that I would take her to. And we'd get halfway through and she would sit down and say, yep, this is far enough. Let's go back to the air conditioned car. Uh, and we, we can stop and, and get some French fries on the way home mm-hmm. and, uh, maybe watch a good movie later. You know, she, she just had no interest in doing that. Whereas, you know, we have other dogs, um, who, you know, like Baloo would be quite happy to live in a pile of dirt outside all the time. <laughs> yes. Um, 
so it's it it really is sort of taking time to get to know what your dog wants to do. Um, and I, I'm going to come back to that. But one thing that we we should talk about briefly uh, are flexi leads or extend expendable le- extend uh, extension leads. Um, these retract- are things that cause yes retractable. That's yeah. the term. Um, these are ones that cause me just like heart palpitations every time I see them. Yeah. Um, and there's there's all kinds of problems, but could you, as a trainer, as someone who works with dogs, um, you know, sort of at all levels from professional competitive agility to showing to uh, one-on-one training, why are flexi leads the devil? Flexi leads have their, or retractable leashes have their purpose. Um, and I use them myself when I'm traveling on the road and I need to potty my dogs and I don't know the area that I'm in and, and what may or may not be laying in the grass. Like, so I kind of will cite out a spot that I think, okay, this should be okay to potty the dogs in. And my dogs are used to being off leash. I live in the country. They, they don't typically potty on leash. So it's difficult. So giving, having that retractable leash to use gives them that, that little bit more freedom and then it gives me the peace of mind that they can't get too far from me um but again i i would only use them for that type of purpose and i guess too if you're on a trail where there's no roads and you're just able you want to take your dog but you're being conscientious of the environment around you to not disturb wildlife to not really leave the trail but to still give your dog some freedom I think that they have a purpose there. However, if we're just day-to-day walking down a street with or down a really busy pathway, it's it's terrifying because those leashes, when they are whipping past somebody's legs, bare legs and shorts, at an alarming rate of speed, I mean, there's there's been some serious injuries occurred from that. Not to mention, too, when you are walking straight and your dog is 16 and some of them are 26 feet in front of you, and if you're on a residential road and across the road runs a rabbit, your dog can actually do a hard left or a hard right and actually get onto the road and actually be hit by a car while still connected to you. So that's terrifying that a lot of people don't recognize that. They just think, well, no, my dog can't. We're here on the street and my dog's going straight. They don't see that by a hard left turn, they actually now can get 26 feet or 16 feet directly beside you which is directly onto the road so that's very um traumatizing but i think in a place where you know very minimal people around um still want to not let your dog off leash whether because you're just scared that it's going to get itself into trouble or that it won't come back but you still want it to have a little bit of freedom if more than just a six foot leash then yes and then when you do see somebody pull the dog in and lock the leash so that they're not able to get to that person. If they decide that they don't like that person, they don't like that dog or they want to chase that bike, be respectful of that, lock them into you and then continue on. But keep, keep the retractable leashes away from busy roads. They shouldn't be. That's, that's what gets me is watching, even just sitting here at my desk and watching people walk with those, um, and knowing that your dog is going from three feet to 15 feet away from you in, in a heartbeat. Yeah. Um, and there's nothing you can do about it right. unless you can see into the future. Right. 
Right. And most boulevards are what, only four, maybe five feet long? And like the grass area between the sidewalk and the curb? Well, yeah, and here in Hamilton, we don't have those. Right. It, it's sidewalk and then road. Right. So, yeah, in I mean, in Kitchener, we have the boulevard, but you're right. In Hamilton, it's mostly just sidewalk to road. And, yeah, it's absolutely terrifying. And there's absolutely been many, many cases where dogs have been walked by their diligent, loving owners on a retractable leash, and then something spooks the dog, catches its attention, whatever, and that dog is now in traffic and is hit by a car. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just had a good question come in, and this is, this is a fun one. Um, why does our dog want to play ball, but he doesn't want to give the ball after a bit? Uh, so it's throw no take, uh, <laughs> which is, is a fun this, game of many dogs. Is this a um, question from Pigeon? <laughs> no, no. Um, pi, pi, well, he, he's under something right now and around the corner, um, but uh, he, he does enjoy that game himself, uh, though we work on it with him um, and he eventually does give the ball up but it is something that uh, we see a lot and it's it's frustrating because the the way you want to react and pigeon our our little dog who's who's quite sporty he comes up and he has the ball in his mouth and he will put it in your hands and the second you try and close your hand around that ball he pulls it away again and it's frustrating because you want to take the ball and throw it for him but if you try and take it then it's a new game all of a sudden right Right. Um, so for us, we eventually, we wait and he, you know, you have to be patient and yeah. he eventually does give it up. Yeah. But why do dogs do that? What What's you, the drive to them? You nailed it exactly. It's a different type of game. And, and so, and the other point that you said is the patience. Like you just, you have to be patient. You have to make them realize that I don't want to play that other game. I do want to play the throw and give. I don't want to play the, you know, <laughs> don't take. Yes. Um, so with the dogs and, and what I've struggled with with my own, my youngest dog too, is that she wasn't big into retrieving. She wanted to go get it and then never bring it back. She would just hoard it. <laughs> so what I started teaching her is to bring the ball and just place it in my hand. And then the second that she would do that, because she did enjoy chasing it, the second she would do that is I would say yes and immediately just pitch the ball back to her. Yeah. And so that started, got her wheel spinning, like, oh, wow, I can go chase it again if I bring it back to mom. Mm -hmm. But it was, it was a very fine line of I had to do it really quickly or else she didn't pair the two together that I was actually the one that could throw it again. So, and that by her bringing it to me, she was in control of that part. Um, So it was kind of funny to watch her figure this all out, but that was the, the way that I did it is just patiently waiting, taught her to bring it to me. And the second she did, I immediately allowed her to have it again. Then the other thing that I worked with her is I would get her to bring me the toy and then I wouldn't try to take it. I would just pat her and scratch her sides and say, look at the pretty thing you have. Isn't that so nice? What did you get? And she literally, and she loved her like back scratches and stuff. And she'd be prancing. She'd be all proud. And she'd have this, this present in her mouth that she was like, yes, I did get this thing. Isn't it nice? And that little bit of reverse psychology or, or maybe it's not even reverse psychology. I don't know. But what it did is, is it took away that, idea that I was always going to steal something from her Mm. that I was just going to take it and that it got rid of that panic of well will I ever get it back so she then wanted to show me things and then in the house she started bringing me like bottle caps and uh like random pieces of garbage to be like look at the present (laughs) and so I I 
had to make a big deal about the fact that she found a paperclip. And I'm like, look at this. You brought, because she brought it to me. She started wanting to show me things. And like one day I was standing out on my deck, which over is higher up and overlooks the yard. And I saw her down by the pool and she had something in her mouth and I couldn't tell what it was, but she was beelining up to the deck steps. I was a little scared because it was something brown and it looked thick. And I'm like, I don't know what she's bringing me. I'm scared at this point. She comes over and she, so I open up my hand and she so gingerly places this one dried leaf that she was holding by (laughs) in between her front teeth. She was so careful and she placed it in my hand and I went, oh, wow, reason did you find, did you find a leaf? And she sat there just wiggling her body, just staring (laughs) at me like, yes, I did. I found that. There's 3,000 of them back there, but this one was important. Yeah. And I and then I offered it back to her. I said, would you like it back? And she so gingerly again took it by the stem and then trotted back to the yard again. <laughs> and I laughed so hard about that. But you know what? That was her showing me that she understood that by bringing me something, I wasn't just going to take it away. Yeah. Right. So she wanted to then show me her little present, which was just a stupid leaf. But anyway. But that's that's I mean, that's the the reverse of that, though, is when they then get to be so well trained at it. So with Pigeon, with the um, you have to leave the toy for me to throw it for you. Now I'll be sitting on the couch playing Xbox and he comes over and drops toys on my hands. (laughs) I'm like, no, I don't want to play this game. So I move the toy. Right. Because it's it's on me. (laughs) <laughs> exactly. And he's like, awesome. You threw it. You didn't throw it far, but you threw it. Here it is again. And it's this horrible cycle. And um, I can't save the world from zombies and I have to play with my dog. Uh, yep, now, happens. it's a reality. And talking about some of these these bits and pieces about sort of knowing your dog and, and all these different ways to train. Um, you, you've been involved with, uh, you know, the President's Choice Super Dogs, the, the traveling tour show. Uh, you, you've done competitive uh, uh, agility. I yeah. find it very interesting, uh, being around agility people, uh, and show people sort of the understanding which dogs might enjoy which things and how agility and that more intensive training, uh, actually ends up creating a happier dog and a better bond. Um, oh, for you sure. know, and I, and I think of, uh, our, our dog monster, um, yep. Who, who was, what, twice or three times returned to a rescue because of his high energy and destruction. Yep. Um, and now, I, I he's sleeping right now. Uh, they're all sleeping except for JJ, who is sitting and staring at me as usual. Because um, <laughs> I'm talking, and that's important. I might say food or something. Right. Um, but, it, like, how, how do you identify maybe that this dog might be set for doing something a little more intensive, for something a little more exciting, and how do you get started in that? I think the um, I think any dog can learn it, and especially the biggest thing is that as long as they've been taught with it being always fun. As soon as we start um, demotivating dogs or trying to tell them that they did something you know wrong or whatever, when it, that's where the dogs are like, oh, I don't want to play this game anymore. I make everything for my dogs a game. It's always ending in fun. We're either using toys as reward, treats as reward. And if I have nothing at all, I'll use myself as a reward and scratch their ears and their backs and say, good puppy, good puppy. Um, But picking out a dog that has that really, really competitive drive to it, that 
I mean, basically, if you if you most border collies possess mm. it, a lot of the working dogs do, herding dogs especially, um, and that's kind of the first key. But at, with that being said, I, I mean, I've seen like wiener dogs who are just incredible agility dogs, Yorkshire Terriers, like. There's so many, and it's just in, I think, how they've been brought up and how they've been introduced to the sports and how they're like, wow, this is so fun. Because every dog loves an outlet, whether whether that outlet is scent detection and finding new smells um, or doing some obedience or frisbee or jumping off a dock or playing agility. They all have their thing that they're really, really going to love, but mostly they really love to just interact with us, to be with us. So... I think once we figure out what we like to do, what our dog likes to do, what we can physically handle, um, then it's just finding a trainer in your area who not only uses positive methods, but who has done those types of competitions his or herself. Um, Going to a trainer who's never actually competed in anything, that's a little difficult for them to teach you about the sport then, in my opinion. So I think that once you're once you've found kind of your niche and what really excites you and what your dog seems to love, yeah, go to that trainer, go to those classes, um, see where it takes you, see how you guys progress, and if nothing else, just go have fun with your dog. Yeah, and that's uh, I think sort of the ultimate thing is to have fun. Um, and For that's sure. you know, if you've ever watched the the movie, you know, Best in Show, uh, it, it may give a, a slightly different picture, but. Um, <laughs> The, yeah. uh, the the agility stuff, it is a lot of fun to watch and, and to take part in. Um, you know, JJ, uh, and because I'm talking about my dog because that's what I do. Um, you yep. know, she, she's she gone to training and she learned how to do a couple jumps and go through a tunnel. And then she said, okay, I did that. I'm going to go over here now. Um, yeah. Even if you give her a full T-bone steak, she'll say, that's nice, but this floor needs laying on. Um, yeah. <laughs> now, yeah. talk, I think... One of the other things that needs to be addressed, and maybe the last part we can wrap up with this, is the opposite. So we're talking a lot about how to have fun to teach new things. But what about when yeah. we're seeing something that we don't want to happen? So that's, you know, maybe counter surfing or, or humping other dogs on site um, yeah. or um, leash reactivity, I think is probably a big one. Dogs who bark and lunge and things like that. Yeah. Can we use positive training, positive reinforcements in a situation that is full of negative things. Yeah, for sure you can. Um, And especially like with leash reactivity, that's the biggest one where people, they, I see them, they get mad at their dog and they yell at their dog for reacting. And then that only fuels the dog's fire in terms of it understanding that, see, I have to react because if that dog comes any closer, I'm about to get Mm. in trouble. So it's this vicious circle. But if we change that dog's perception and we start saying that I'm going to reward you for looking at me um, and every every second of eye contact that you give me, I'm going to heavily reward that by feeding you a treat. And if they're going to give you 15 seconds of eye contact while the dog passes by, reward that. But what you're showing your dog is that, wow, good things happen when a dog passes me. I can look to my mom or dad, I get good things in return, and it wasn't so scary after all. And that doesn't have to be a dog, it can be a bike, a skateboard, um, you know, children in general. And though that same that same technique applies to all of those situations. A reacting dog is simply a dog that is worried and doesn't know what else to do and it's in 
desperate attempt mode to get that thing to go away. So with humping, though, that's a little different. Um, humping isn't always a sexual-based thing. It's not all, It's not a dominant-based thing. It's just dogs do it because they just don't know any better, because it can be an invitation to play for some dogs. So, and some dogs don't mind it. Like they, they're like, I don't care if you can hump me Like whatever. Um, other dogs take great offense to it. So I always say as a safe rule of thumb, if you are in a, in a dog play group and your dog is trying to hump somebody, just gently walk over and, and push them off. Like just gently push them off and like, just let them know. No, don't do that. Like a dog may not be okay with that. And it's just a lot of you going in there and just removing your dog off of the other dog just so that we don't have the other dog eventually getting to a point where it spins around and wants to start a problem because your dog has been annoying it this whole time, right? So as long as we're proactive and getting in there, just removing the humper, like showing it that, nope, that's not acceptable for social <laughs> gatherings. You can't go hump people. Um, and giving them an alternate option that they can just, you can go play. You just can't hump. Um, with, what was the other one you said? Um, counter surfing. Counter surfing. So counter surfing is a tough one because it is so highly rewarding to them if they get something. So the biggest thing with counter surfing is supervision and diligence. Don't leave anything edible up there. If they do it 10 times and on time 10, they got something, they're going to try it another 10 times. If they do it 10 times and they've gotten nothing the whole time, they may go up there and see, but eventually that's going to be fading. When you see it physically hap happening, you can tell them off. But realistically, all you're teaching them is that when you are home and you are within eyesight of this happening, don't do it then. Wait till they're gone. So the biggest thing is removing the opportunity for them to actually get something. Because a few efforts and failed attempts is what will ultimately get that behavior to start diminishing. Um, you being there, sure. And if you want to, you know, scream and throw a hissy fit at your dog, you can, I guess, but again, they're only learning to not do it in front of you. Yeah. And that's, it's funny. I, uh, that actually happened the other day. It's why I, I brought it up. Uh, JJ used to do this and did it again for the first time in a long while. Um, I was, uh, sort of standing in the back door, uh, uh, wiping paws and from where she was standing next to the counter, it looked like I was outside. And I turned around and she had her paws on the counter. And we saw each other at pretty much the same time. And she jumped down and ran away. Yeah. Um, and again, it's you're absolutely right. It's, it's not that she's not supposed to do it. She knows that she's not supposed to be seen doing it. Right. Exactly. And so that's... And so people... You know, they, they think, well, okay, I fixed it. My dog won't ever do that again. No, no. Set up a video camera and leave the house. <laughs> Your dog's going to do it again. <laughs> um, you haven't fixed it. You just taught them that it's not safe to do it when you're watching. And it's the exact yeah. same thing, too, when we talk about potty training. That they're like, oh, my dog, you know, I find it downstairs and I get the dog in trouble. Well, no, they're only they're only realizing that you know, urine on the ground means that you're going to be mad. They're not picking up that when they put the urine on the ground, that that's going to make you mad. So. Well, and that's that immediacy that you were talking about. They live very much in the moment while yeah. they remember things. Mm -hmm. They, they are looking at what's happening right now. Yeah. So they're not putting together. I did this half an hour ago. Exactly. 
And now you're mad that I did this half an hour ago. They're seeing that you're mad that this is a thing. Yes. And the same thing for if uh, if they knock over the garbage and you walk in the house and garbage is everywhere and the dog begins. It's very appeasing actions like walking over to you, cowering, licking its lips, ears back, might even roll over on its back. All of those things. It's not apologizing for destroying the garbage. It had a heck of a time doing it. And if you give it the option tomorrow, it's going to do it again. Heck, if you put it all back together and walk out of the house, it'll probably do it right again. So it's not that they're saying, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. It's that they're saying, I'm sorry that there's such a mess in front of you. I know you don't like this. But they don't put together, I'm sorry that I made this mess. I know you don't like this. They're saying, you don't like this mess. But they're not They're not figuring it out. They did this. And if... if- you had one thing to say to all of the dog owners across the country and around the world right now. Uh, as spring is coming, as we're getting outside with our dogs more, what's the one thing you want everybody to know who has a dog? Um, for safety purposes, my biggest fear is just stay away from bodies of water that still have thin ice on them. And um, in terms of just courtesy towards others, Keep your dog on a leash and don't use um, public venues to test out how your dog is, like dog parks. Don't use those to test out your dogs and see what you know their social skills are now since they were puppies or, or since you just brought it home or what have you. Um, and yeah, I guess I guess that would be it. And mostly just go out and get out there and be active with your dog. Have fun. If you're looking for a new dog trainer in your area this spring, please do consider one who uses positive reinforcement methods, which much research points to as the most effective and most humane training method available. That's the show for this week, folks. I want to thank Kyla for joining us and everyone from the Podern family crew on Twitter, as well as our supporters across social media for helping us out with some questions this week. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at Defender Radio, on Instagram at Howie Michael, and on Facebook through the Fur Bears. Until next time, this is Michael Howie reminding you to stay informed and stay strong.